One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, our guest is historical mystery author Lorna Cook. Her new novel is The Forbidden Promise, and we talk about why she was inspired to write a dual narrative story. Also, about how her routine has to be pretty watertight because of the kids, and all about the challenges of writing across two separate timelines. You have to get a lot into each timeline. You have to get them to care about your characters and you have to get them to care about what's happening to them and to be interested enough that they want to solve the mystery as well. So there's all that on the way with Lorna Cook in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello, welcome along to the show. This is Writer's Routine, uh, the place where we take a look inside an author's day to see how they work, to see how they write, how they plan things to get the most out of their creative juices, how they plan, how they plot, and then how they publish a bestseller. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. This week, uh, we've got Lorna Cook on. Her new book is The Forbidden Promise. It's the second after The uh, the Forgotten Village, uh, which was a Kindle number one bestseller, sold well over 150,000 copies. Now, The Forbidden Promise is a dual narrative. Uh, so it means two stories are being told. I mean, it literally does what it says on the tin. Two stories are being told across two separate timelines, two narratives where they entwine, they come together, and they both have a part to play in uncovering the mystery. The mystery in this case uh, is all about a Spitfire plane that crash lands into a Scottish lock during World War Two. It stars Constance, who rescues the pilot, but she has to keep him hidden and she's torn between her family and the loyalties there. And it's also about Kate, who is uncovering part of that mystery 60 years later. It's a sweeping tale of love and of secrets. And we talked to Lorna all about the challenges of dual narrative, why she was drawn to it, uh, why she wrote the book that she wanted to read, and why it's taken her a little while to learn some of the the tricks of the trade of dual narrative, and and why she she doesn't need to spend as much time as she once did overwriting each timeline. We also talk about how her workday has to be watertight and thoroughly planned because she's got a house full of kids, and also how she manages to carve out the time when she's got all that going on at home. Uh, Now, just a very quick note about the actual recording itself. It's a little bit iffy. Uh, I think I might have had a mic issue at the time, or there was an air conditioner on it. Something's on slightly alright. It's not too bad. It's just there's quite a lot of of ruffles happening. So just bear with that. Press on through, uh, because there are loads of nuggets and amazing gems of writing advice along the way. And we start, as we always do, 
this week with Lorna Cook in Writer's Routine and what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I see the sea. I'm very lucky. So I look out the window and see paddle borders and the pier and sometimes sun and sometimes mud flats when the tide's out and um, mostly a lot of grey. <laughs> Whereabouts are you writing in your house? Uh, I'm on the top floor, which used to be an attic and is now converted into like an office come sort of um, spare room. Oh, very glamorous. I, li- I like that. Like almost a purpose-built place. What have you got in in the office? Come spare room, come writing room. That that does help you be creative. Um, helps me be creative. Uh, not a lot. Just the window mainly. I love got a lot of um, sheets on the wall with plot points on. Um, they used to be on the window, and then I couldn't see out the window, and so now I've had to stick them to the wall. Um, and now I'm one of these people who is responsible for peeling off paint with sellotape, <laughs> which my husband loves. Um, yeah. So that's kind of it. I have a candle that burns. That I look at when I'm sort of stuck in a plot point and that's about that's all the creativeness that there is out there really <laughs> that's amazing so you're, you're there you, you kind of take yourself away into your room is there any any art on the wall anything that's particularly inspirational um no I don't have any art on the walls up there. Well, no, I do I have some pictures of the seaside but they're kind of on the other wall so I don't really see them um and I have on my, I've got quite a big desk um it's quite a big white modern desk and on that is um, all the books, like research books that I'm using. Um, so every now and again, I'll flick into those for a bit of inspiration. But yeah, is it an, is it an organised space on your desk, no, or is it fairly chaotic? It's really messy. <laughs> I'm a really messy worker. Um, no, I have the books piled up and like a little pen pot. And then it's just paperwork and post-it notes and random bits of documents and stuff that I really should tidy up, but I don't, and I lose things every day. <laughs> I was wondering recently about whether someone's rather artifactly of myself. I was wondering if, if if a chaotic workspace tends to lead to a chaotic work day. Are, are these things m- mirrored? Um, no, I've always been quite quite messy at work. My desk was always a messy when I had like a full time job, and at the end of every day, you had to tidy it up, and I would have to spend a long time tidying before I could even go home. Um, but I get everything done, so maybe it's a disorganised chaos that does work, maybe <laughs> rather than an organised chaos. <laughs> Let's talk about how you get it done then. So talk me through your day, uh, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are writing. How does it look? Um, a day when I'm writing, the moment I wake up, I wake up about sort of six thirty, and then have to get the kids ready and take them to school and then come home and I drink about 27 coffees and then I take the dog for a walk because he's a little whinger and I can't (laughs) do anything without the dog having his walk otherwise he's just on me Um, and so he goes out and that's quite nice I listen to podcasts when I go dog walking and that takes about an hour and then come home and then I do all the mum jobs I really shouldn't do because I really should go and work so I do things like the laundry and the dishwasher and then I think I finally get to my desk about sort of 10 maybe be a bit after that and then um and then I just start then I just open the laptop and then I've usually left a document open which is what I was working on previously and so if I open that up and it's a max you know when you open it up everything just appears so that's already there and it means I don't go straight on Facebook Twitter and Instagram it means I'm like oh there it is and look the words are there and I sort of should probably start now so I do I just get get cracking so you start at 10 you're immediately into it how how What's your focus tend to last for before you do find yourself peeling away to more mum jobs or Twitter? Um, well, once I'm in my office, I try not to leave until I desperately need to go and like eat something. Um, so I can usually last a good few hours at my desk. Um, and I do stop. I don't know. I find if I'm mid-flow, I'm fine. But if I'm kind of ending a scene 
then I will head off to all the social media sites just to check what's been happening since I last <laughs> um, since I last was on, and then I'll come back to it. So I, yeah, it's a little bit of procrastination, and then I do have to force myself back because I only write um, two full days a week. So I know I've only got those days, and if I don't hit a good word count, then I've ruined it, and then I have to wait until like the Wednesday, the next Wednesday before I can kind of get back to it again. So it's a self-imposed fuel. <laughs> you start at 10 o'clock. What time will you tend to finish on, on these dedicated writing um, days? About six normally. Oh, wow, so you get a full eight hours. I do go. I stop for lunch, but it's only going downstairs to make a sandwich. And I eat really badly when I'm kind of approaching my deadline. Like the rest of the year, I'm like, oh, a salad or something. <laughs> and then I'll have time to make something. But the rest of it, if I'm near a deadline, I'm like, my God, just eat a block of cheese and go back to work. <laughs> and I never had a self-imposed sort of target until quite recently and I think on a really good day a really good day because I'm in my office for so long um, I can probably get to 5,000 that's an incredibly good day Mm. Um, if I haven't hit about 1,800 for me knowing that I don't have much time per week um, if I haven't hit 1,800 I'm probably a little bit annoyed at myself so that's interesting if if this is your new target yeah to actually get some words done in the day but even before that, you knew that you needed to be as productive as possible. Before you were thinking about words, mm. what what made a good writing day for you? I don't know, really. I just wrote and hoped for the best. And I think I didn't really notice what how much I was doing. I think I would just get to the end of a few scenes and go, yeah, they were quite good. I quite like them. And then, But I think the closer you get to a deadline, the more you're like, come on, Lorna. <laughs> Let's speed up a bit. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That, I think. <laughs> when, when you do have this, this dedicated time to write, are there any tips or tricks that do keep you going, that keep you energised, apart from smashing through a block of cheese? Well, OK, so one which is a bit decadent is that I installed an espresso machine in my office so that I wouldn't have to get up and go down. Because I drink a lot of coffee, which is a terrible thing. Um, but I used to get up at the end of a scene or at the end of maybe a sentence and then I'd go, I was going to go and make another coffee now. Then I'd go downstairs and I'd faff around and then I'd have to undo the laundry and, like, you know, so... So I put an espresso machine upstairs in my office and a little pint of milk in this tiny little fridge and then I wouldn't leave the office. It's like self-imposed prison. <laughs> like tax deductible as well, so that's OK, isn't it? That, that, yeah, that. it probably is. I should probably find a receipt for that. <laughs> that works. So you've got your two full writing days. Are you mm. managing to get snatches here and there? No, not really. I'm not very good at that. I have to be at my desk and I have to be in front of my laptop and I try and leave it all in the even though it's a portable laptop I try and leave it on the desk and don't take it downstairs because otherwise I will just probably ignore my children and just write and they'll be begging for dinner so I have to try and have that time when they're home from school where I just leave it and then I have my four-year-old who I still look after on a Monday and Friday so she's not at not at school full-time yet Um, and so my week is kind of half her half writing for now. How good are you at switching off on days when you're not writing when you do have to see the kids yeah I'm doing pretty good so Mondays and Fridays I have my little girl and she's very energetic and so we go to the park and do things like that so I'm probably you know pushing her on a swing I might drift off and think oh I could do this next with the book um but I'll always you know I'll always be with her running around doing stuff and doing little play dates and things so yeah I'm quite good I think that's probably the day tended to um, music? Are you good at with music? Um, no, I'm really. I used. To, I tried to listen to sort of. So I write historicals. I write sort of World War Two at the moment and um, and present day. And so I tried to kind of get into the spirit of things by listening to like wartime music. But I found I couldn't write with any background noise. Just I had to have complete silence. And even tried going to cafes 
so many people writing cafes and I think I chose either the worst day or the best day depending on how you look at it and I went to a cafe and I set up and then it was a really lovely small little independent cafe and uh, and this couple just started having this amazing argument and I just couldn't write I was pretending but I was like this is amazing and I thought I don't write anything like this but if I wrote like real sort of like kind of couple books I suppose I'd be like this is gold me and the uh, cafe owner were sort of looking at each other with knowing eyes <laughs> like this is amazing but awful for them obviously and I thought I can't do this I can't be in cafes I'll never get anything done because I'm such a people watcher and such a nosy nosy parker that I'm like well, what are you what are you all talking about you know and you're having an actual row in front of me no I can't do this I want to get anything done I have to go home sit at my desk and just live in silence now you've just published your your second novel is that right yeah out March 19th depending on when you yeah so you've just published your second (laughs) you've just published your second novel right um what changed in do you think anything changed in the way that you wrote between the two stories did you learn anything after the first novel was, was published perhaps your own analysis of your working day, maybe it was something that editors were flagging up to you uh, that you have since changed moving into your second one. Um, I wrote my first one when my uh, little girl was a baby. So she slept quite a lot during the day. Not a lot at night, but she slept quite a lot during the day. And so I would have a lovely two-hour chunk in the morning to write and then a two-hour chunk in the afternoon. And that slowly drifted off to nothingness. <laughs> so I wrote then, and so I didn't really have a structured day because I was not working, I was at home with her. So I would wait until she fell asleep. And instead of running around doing all the jobs I really should have been doing, like sterilising bottles and things like that, I just literally went to my desk, opened the laptop and just went for it. Um, so I, I knew I had such a limited time every day to do it. Now I've got sort of, I guess, about the same sort of time, but it's just in bigger blocks now. How would, do you think you would deal with being a a full-time writer with no commitments that could drag you away i'd probably procrastinate a whole lot more (laughs) i don't know i i don't know i well in september my little goes to school full-time so then i will be five days a week kind of in charge of my own destiny for the first time in a long time so i don't know i will write every day i think but i'll probably have a little bit more time to do other things which I neglect, like the house and cleaning and things. Don't let your publishers hear that. No. They, they'll, they'll have you on <laughs> four books a year. Uh, well, the new one is The Forbidden Promise. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the first moment that the idea for that came into your head. Um, I, prob- I was probably having a lay-in on a Saturday morning. My husband's brilliant and he takes the kids off on a Saturday or a Sunday because we get we get up quite early during the week for the school run. And so he'll take them off and make them pancakes and things and he's quite an early riser and I'm not. And so I find if I'm laying in bed undisturbed I'm not thinking about anything else I'm not having to do cleaning or I'm not having to write the book then that's when I kind of get my ideas I don't know why they just sort of come to me when I'm laying down (laughs) doing nothing what do you do to 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 force those ideas are you are you you, you sat there thinking you know what what would happen if this were to happen so so the idea for what became the forbidden promise what if you are there on on a on a Saturday morning, you know, how, having a, a yeah. rare lion, do you remember how did it present itself to you? I think I, I think I had the twist. The twist had been in my head for a while, but not really the story around it. And so I think that's when I don't know how the twist came to me. It just sort of did, and then I kind of crafted the story around it by thinking about what would happen if this happened and and how would these people be living and that sort of thing. So I just sort of create a plot in my head. So I can't really start to write a book until uh, I have the first sentence, which I have to have, 
so that can take months. <laughs> and I have the whole story kind of from start to finish. Obviously, you go off piste, don't you, as you write, but yeah, I need the kind of whole thing. I need to feel confident about something. So I have to, because I have to get it past an agent and an editor. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you can't sort of just go, oh, I'm just going to do this. Like, well, tell me how this would work. So I do have to sort of think, well, I've got the twist, so let's build it around that and see whether it fits and whether it's likely and whether it will work. I'm not very good at explaining it. I think it just sort of slowly came to me. So one of those annoying things where people go, oh, how'd you get your ideas? And I go, I don't know, just did. <laughs> yeah. um, I stumble down internet rabbit holes quite a lot. Right. And so that's sometimes how I'll see something. And... I guess it's a what-if question, isn't it? What if this happened? What if that happened? Um, so my first book, The Forgotten Village, was about a requisitioned village. So that was very much based on something that had really happened. Um, and then it's a case of building characters around an event. Um, the Forbidden Promise is not based on anything real. It's something I created, and I don't, I don't know how. It just came. <laughs> and so the next two I'm thinking about doing, they're ones where I've, de- I've again, fallen down an internet rabbit hole, and I thought, my God, this, they're often stories that I had never heard of that have really happened. And so I think, God, if I didn't know about this, and I'm quite into my history in a very geeky kind of way, I wonder if nobody else has heard about this. And so it's always nice to kind of then go to your agent, oh, what about this? And they go, I didn't know this. I go, good, yay, we're doing that one then. <laughs> With the forbidden promise, <laughs> yeah. What what is your entry... You've got the, the twist. What is your entry point to wanting to find out more about this story? Is is it character? Yeah, I think so. I'm really obsessed with women on the home front and what they did before they had to be called up because women got called up as well Mm. and so uh, this story is before the call up for women and I've got a very sort of disillusioned character who just wants to be desperately involved in the war but can't be and so finds a way her own way to be involved and I don't know I just sort of developed that idea really um I I love the war but I'm not very good at military campaigns and battles and they're not very interesting to me so it's more about how people how everyday people lived at home um and so I kind of just pursued uh somebody living in quite an isolated community and and how they could get involved in the war even though they didn't really have much cause to be involved and weren't really allowed. And you say that you need to thoroughly plot these things. Yeah. How are you doing that? If you're writing on Word, what what form does the, the thorough plotting take? Um, I write a little synopsis, I suppose. I write like a, as if I'm writing the back of the book. So I write that so I can see whether it's something that you can sum up in the back of a book. Um which I guess is what I got from when I was querying agents and you kind of have to do that a bit and then your one-page synopsis. So I wrote that and then I wrote myself a one-page synopsis um, and then that went off to be kind of checked by the powers that be. So that's kind of just how I did it. That's how I kind of plotted it. And, and how do you then break that down further to plot even more thoroughly? <sighs> Do you know, I did with my first book I did, I had a double timeline. I had this is what happens present day and this is what happens back then and it would kind of be an arrow diagram. So this happens and then kind of cliffhanger, this happens <laughs> in the se- next section. Um, and then I think I've just gone downhill with the plotting really. So I just do it in my head and, uh, and don't do a huge timeline or anything now. I just kind of write down things and scribble things on bits of paper on the wall and hope that it links. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll get more from Lorna in just a sec on the show. Uh, very quickly, I want to say a huge thank you if you got involved with the, the Scrivener deal. Uh, last month for the whole of April they were supporting the show if you didn't manage to make the most of that still do have a look at the software Scrivener Uh, you can find it at literatureandlatte.com you can download a trial for free so many of our authors have raved about the benefits of of how it's impacted the way that they write and I think the price that you get it for at literatureandlatte.com is a real steal and you can try it out I think maybe for a month for free it is absolutely well worth it now if you would like to, to help out the show in another way uh, because we've brought you over 100 episodes now uh, if you've got tips or if you've got storytelling advice from any of the authors that we've chatted to uh, please do pledge just a little bit every month over at writersroutine.com you see when this is all over i'm going on the attack I'm finding, I'm I'm finding them, searching them out, chatting to more of the world's best authors. And if you want these episodes as frequently as possible, if you want to help me buy some better kit so I don't have Mike Russells anymore uh, to record them, if you want to help me buy uh, the author a coffee, uh, if you just want to give me the time to do the chats so I don't have to do other stuff, uh, please do support what we do. You can help us out over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. I know it's a hard time at the moment, so anything that you can spare, uh, it will be amazingly received, I promise. Just a couple of dollars a month is huge. It really helps us out. We've got a few tiers uh, with merch on the website, which you can get involved in, and I promise it all goes a long way. Help us out. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Hi, I'm Sherry LaPena, and I'm the author of Someone We Know, which is out now. And my writing tip is give yourself permission to write badly so that you don't get stuck. I find when I'm not writing well, I just keep writing. And then if I go back and read it, I'll find the kernel of something that's good there. And then I'll work with that and I'll, I'll make it better. So I think the problem with writer's block is that people often feel that it has to be perfect when it goes down to the page. And that's simply not the case. So I think if you want to write a book, just start writing and give yourself permission to write badly so that you can improve. Let's get back to it then with Lorna Cook chatting all about her brand new novel, The Forbidden Promise. Uh, In this half, we talk about the edit, why she has started writing quite dirty drafts. Uh, After when she began, uh, she she wrote quite thoroughly from the very start. But now she's let herself take it a little bit easier, I think. Also, we chat about her root of the story, how much she plots each part, how much she knows before she starts writing. And we pick things up 
talking about the actual mystery of the story, the hook of the plot, how is she getting her characters to solve it? I looked at it from a really realistic point of view. So I look at how how would a normal person like you if you just like and me if we stumbled across a real mystery um how would we go about researching who these people were and what they did um we'd look look like national archives and you'd look at museums and things like that and so i found a lot of mysteries that were being written uh weren't really doing that and it making it sound really boring now (laughs) taking everyone to a museum um but i just kind of tried to be quite realistic in how normal people would go about fitting in finding a mystery in amongst their busyness of their day and and their kind of their natural characteristics I guess and 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 how did you manage that I know I'm asking very vague how questions all the time but it's just that that's Um, that's the way to unpack this so if you think the power of the internet I did it by the power of the internet how would I go about solving a mystery um the power of the internet Um, yeah, you just get out and about. You go go and look at look at things. And so, in the first bit of Forgotten Village, it is basically based on a real village. And so, I went to the real village to see what it looked like and how people had lived. And and there were loads of charts up about how people lived and the different people. And they were like you know running laundries or they're working up at the big house. And I just found their lives so interesting. And I always wanted to know what happened to them afterwards. Where did they go after they got evicted from the community? Um, and so, you just do a lot of digging around to see. And then it's like real life stories come to you and and you kind of think oh that's lovely I'll have that <laughs> and, and and the books they're both because the first book was um th- this was in Dorset wasn't it this was yeah. yes so you've taken someone you've put them down in a secluded place in Dorset this one you've sent them up to a, a secluded place in Scotland <laughs> what's that about what's that what's that as a, as, as a plot device why are you oh. sticking these people miles away I think so because well that's a good question i think because the war isn't really touching them in these secluded locations um and they kind of want to be more well in the second one the forbidden promise she wants to be more involved in the first one she's married so doesn't have to be involved and doesn't really have much opportunity to be involved um but the war really suddenly affects them because they're having their entire community taken away from them so i found that a really intriguing premise um i found it really intriguing how the more money you had, the less the war touches you. So rationing wouldn't really be that big a deal because you have more money, you could get hold of stuff that other people couldn't get hold of. And so she, the, the heroine in my second novel, The Forbidden Promise, she kind of lives like that. Um, I just find I just find location really intriguing. And I try, kind of try... People say they make their location another character in the book, which I didn't really realise I was doing until someone pointed it out. And so now I feel like, oh, maybe I do do that. And, and so I kind of like that going forward I kind of try and make the location interesting but relevant and to what was happening at the war at the time as well I think we're kind of vaguely talking around the plot here it might make sense just to just to bring us all up to speed I know okay. that you, I know that you don't want to give away the plot <laughs> the, the twist either um just just talk to us about the forbidden promise as much as you can kind of okay. ha- how it's how it starts and um how it starts and without giving too much away mm. but how these like the mystery that she then has to try and solve oh so in the um present day a woman arrives at this rundown house to try and sort of resurrect it to make it into a really glamorous sort of hotel um and discovers that the heroine in the previous in the sort of previous timeline is um her name has been scrubbed out of the family bible and so she's kind of goes on a quest to discover who she was and why her name has been completely inked out and then you see it from the um 
past timeline heroine's point of view which is that she has watched a plane crash into a lake and she swims out to rescue the pilot but he doesn't want to be in the war anymore and so she decides to keep him hidden and it's about the consequences that filter through the generations. You've got these two heroines Mm. across two very distinct timelines. How are you... Because then you're dedicating so much time to two main characters Mm. in effect. Mm. How was that? How, How was separating these in your mind in your writing but still making them both authentic and relatable um i think it's circumstance and the things that characters would have seen and would have had access to so in the modern day my two modern day characters in both my novels are a bit more sort of a bit more spunky and a bit more exciting and a bit more knowledgeable about life you know they've had boyfriends they've had jobs they've had heartbreaks and they've had things that the sort of previous timeline characters wouldn't really have had access to um and so i kind of try to make they're very easy to be different they just through circumstance really and where they live and their isolation i suppose what about the writing in two distinct time frames well when, when, when you're talking about writing uh, in in the second world war you know, that immediately brings some things to mind, yeah. uh, you know, the kind of the filter that's through my eyes as I yeah. see it. It's very good night, sweetheart. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, what's that like, ri- writing something that was 70-odd years ago and, and, and bringing that to life today? Um, to try and make the language accessible without it being too jolly hockey sticks, okay. um, because that's quite cringy to read a book that's complete, I find, anyway. Mm. Um, but not, obviously, you have to write be quite authentic but not to be too in your face I think so it's about things like mentioning things from the time and it getting the reader involved in that time so they really feel immersed um, in sort of small detail that doesn't overpower the book I think it's just a lot easier because it's just as you and I would live so that's I find it faster to write the modern day section so I can speed through that quite quickly my own edit I do quite I'm quite nitpicky now um I do a really messy first draft, I think I've realised now. Um, I get, I, I never used to, but now I do. <laughs> Wait, just, why do you think that is? I, don't, I think strange. I'm just keen to get it down on the page. And I was just talking to my editor about this a little while ago about how I, I used to be like, oh, well, I can't write the next bit until I've researched exactly this one point and known exactly what dates this would have happened and just to check it fits. And and then I would that would take up a long time and that's time I could be writing. And so now I just put XXX and I think I'll come back to that in a bit and, you know, put detail in here just because I don't want to lose the thread of the plot or where the mystery's going or how I'm weaving the twist in slowly and I will get very distracted by going off, you know, down an internet rabbit hole. So I try not to do that until the end now. When you're being analysed by editors and agents, um, what have you kind of learned about the, the way that you tell a story, specifically the way that you write, that you are thinking about and maybe that you are working on ways that you still want to improve? My first... Um, book the forgotten village when i had my structural edits through for that that was um they were really encouraging but i think i spent far too long in one time period so my rule was i would spend about ten thousand words in one time period um oh well that is a lot it is a lot so i guess what's that three four chapters is that yeah i mean it's an eighth of the book isn't it yeah Yeah. and then i would well my books are about a hundred thousand so yeah uh i would then flick 
and do the next. And I was quite self-imposed. So I would see myself getting to the 10,000 web mark and think, just do a cliffhanger now and move (laughs) because I felt this is probably a long time. But I didn't really know that it would, it might be a long time because you're writing a first book, you're kind of on your own a bit, aren't you? My editor was like, oh, we're spending far too long here. We need to pace, to pacing, we need to just shorten each time period a bit. Which when you've written it, and you've got your cliffhanger, and then you've written your next 10,000 words, and you've got your cliffhanger. It's like, how do I shorten that and still keep it, yeah. you know, still keep you wanting to turn the pages? So that was the toughest bit, probably, of that edit. So I learned from that, in answer to your question, in a roundabout kind of way, um, I learned from that just to be shorter, just to keep the pace a bit quicker by sort of not 10,000 wording it each time. You know, it would stop when it needed to stop rather than me just going for the sake of it. Has that been a roadblock for you, thinking... I want to tell more of this story in this time zone, but I know that I can't right now. Yeah, I guess I'm quite eager to get it all on the page. So it's nice to know where I'm going. So I will stop and I will write why my desk is so messy because I'll get a post-it and I'll go, this is what happens next. (laughs) And I'll put that there and hope I don't lose that. And then I'll go back to the previous section and, you know, keep going with where I've left off there, Um, which can be quite challenging because I have a really short memory. So I'm like, what what did I just do? Let's go back and have a read and then I can do it from that. How perfect does every word need to be? I know that you said your first draft is fairly dirty, but how perfect does every word need to be the first time you get it down? No, not very perfect at all. I'm quite happy to have sentences that don't make sense. (laughs) As long as it's as long as the crux of what I'm trying to do is there, and it does read like a, a badly written book, and then it the second draft will be where I find a better word for things, and where I will realise I've got maybe a plot strand I don't need, or it's not going anywhere. So I will kind of take that out. So I'm quite rigorous. I'll do um, two at least three edits myself before before it will go to my agent. So I'm quite it's in quite good shape by the time it's gone off um but not when i'm writing it it's not that's just like oh my god come on lorna just get it down (laughs) how willing are you to kill your darlings in in the editing yeah quite willing yeah quite willing and i'm also at that stage because i still feel quite new so i'm writing my third one now so i still feel fairly new at this i'm not an expert and i don't know better than my editors or my agents so if they're like you don't need this and it's like fine let's get rid of it in my last book um, my editor deleted in this book actually my editor deleted um words it was suggestions but they were just great suggestions it was like you know track changes and she would just annihilate those and it's click to accept change so I'd read it I think this is a lot I think oh you're right and she'd always put a reason why and I'd go no fine accept change and those 10,000 words were just you know throughout the book it was but they'd all just disappear Breaking that down what do you think your editor is seeing? I, I know that you're quite close to it so that mm, tends to blink at you at point. That is I think that's the problem but, isn't it, when you're so close. But what why is she seeing something like that, that you're not as in, as in why does she want to take this stuff out? What did it tend to be? Um I think it's pacing. I wonder if it's pacing. Um, there are always really good reasons. They're all different reasons. Um, but then likewise, she would make me add a lot of stuff, which was things I hadn't seen. You know, like your character is probably... You could go into backstory a bit more to make us understand her reasons why she's doing something otherwise. It's just some random woman having a quest for no reason. <laughs> and you think, right, yeah, I get that. I can see that. So there's a lot of adding and then there's a lot of taking away um, as well. But that's kind of collaborative and that's that's what I like I like that I like other people saying no Lorna here's why you've gone wrong let me help you fix it I think oh thank god (laughs) yes please as I approach what I think will be the end of that section I have the plot points that I want to incorporate which so I guess for this one it's I knew the timeline in my head of what I wanted to do so I knew when I got there 
that I you have to make you have to make your reader care about your characters so that they do think oh my god what's happening to her now why do I why does a reader want to read to stop reading the 1940 section and then read your present day heroine and then would she like to go back to the present day section uh, say the 1940 section or not you you have to make you have to get a lot in to each timeline you have to get them to care about your characters and you have to get them to care about what's happening to them and to be interested enough that they want to solve the mystery as well so I don't know <laughs> not just get no not just caring about the characters but when you're writing a mystery as well mm. how much thought are you giving to the standard tropes of a mystery story as you are writing so you know red herrings other twists that come along the way how much thought know, red herrings i i don't know if i do many of those i think i'm more interested in feeding very gently a little bit of information at a time so it keeps people interested rather than the wrong information um Maybe I will start doing some red herrings. <laughs> so probably I'm not really following a lot of the tropes. I don't know. I, I seem to be following the tropes of my genre, I think, that kind of um, dual narrative genre, rather than a sort of you know a police procedure where they stumble across a lot of things that may not be used in the end. You mentioned dual narrative. Hmm. How, how keen are you to, to stay in that genre forever? To, to When people think Lorna Cook, people think dual narrative. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if... I like the genre. I really enjoy it. Did you know you were writing it at the time when you first started? Yeah, did you know? I did. I did. Was but, that the intention, or was that just how the story needed to be told? Um, I had uh, so my first book, The Forgotten Village. I had the past. I had the past story kind of around when I discovered Tyne and the Village. I kind of created a story around what might have happened, you know, just before it was requisitioned, and I wrote the first chapter in the past and got to the end of the first chapter and it felt very cliffhangery. And then I think it kind of just came to me that I, I read a lot of Kate Morton and um, oh, just authors like that, really, who are very pro at it. And I thought, ah, oh, I really loved that, that genre. And I would love to do something where a mystery was solved. And I kind of created a mystery in this first chapter that I didn't know was going to go anywhere. Mm. And so that's when I went to the present day section and thought, well, if I tried to do it, how would it work? And I did it and quite enjoyed doing it. I really enjoy it. And I do wonder about, because I write, you know, about 100,000 words. So about 50,000 words, give or take, is the previous section. Yeah. And 50,000 words is the, uh, you know, the one day section. So I think, God, I really admire people who don't write dual narratives. I'm like, you've had to write a whole book. <laughs> How have you done this? What do you do with the other 50,000 words? So yeah, I don't know whether I will flick genre another day maybe but maybe not right now there's quite a lot in the way for you to write a story you know we were talking mm. earlier you can only write two days a week mm. you've got kids one of them still around you've got all this stuff going on why why do you keep on i know what, what i really enjoy it i just enjoy it and i i always thought writing was for other people and so i never i used to be a journalist so i always wrote but obviously you know journalism and not not fiction and so and I never wanted to really be a fiction writer and I think because I had small children so my eldest is eight so I've had you know children for eight years mm. and I never really had the time and I thought I love reading but I can only really read in bed and I read about five pages and I go to sleep because I'm so tired um, and I thought well I don't want to write a book because it's hard work and other people are going to do it so much better than me so just read their books it's so much easier. <laughs> so what changed what, what made you when your when your daughter was was sleeping in, in the yeah. morning, what made you think you know I'm going to give this a go? They say you should write the book you want to read, and I had discovered this requisitioned village, and was like I'd love to read a book about a requisitioned village. <laughs> I couldn't find one, so I was like, well I'll just have a go then and see. Um, 
and that's kind of just how I started. It was very trial and error. I've had no official training in fiction, so it's very much self-taught and listening to lots of podcasts and reading a lot of books about writing. So, yeah, and I kind of thought, well, I'll give it a go. That's the joy of doing a debut, isn't it? You can't... You have no-one to answer to but yourself um, and your guilty little habit of sneaking off and writing a book. And so I just went and did that and thought, well, if it doesn't work and I can't finish it, then it's not for me. Um, But I'm quite sort of tenacious... It's like, I'm going to finish this. I will do this. And it will make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Massive thanks to Lorna Cook for coming on the show. Her new novel is The Forbidden Promise. You can get loads of details about it uh, over at writersroutine.com. Get it now. No, I don't like that. Her new novel is The Forbidden Promise. You can get loads of details about it over at writersroutine.com. Now, one of the only advantages I have found of the current situation... Uh, is I'm able to chat to authors from all around the world online that I wouldn't normally get the chance to do. Uh, Usually I like to do these things face-to-face. So if there are authors from America uh, or or other parts of the world, I would wait until they were in the country before I had a chance to chat to them. But I can't do that at the moment. I can't meet any author face-to-face at the moment. So I thought it was a good chance to take advantage of maybe some authors that I don't always get the chance to talk to. And I've done loads of those, by the way. Uh, I've already got interviews with Adele Parks. I mean, she's from England, so uh, that's not really relevant for this. But anyway, uh, I've recorded an interview with Adele Parks on the way. Also, we've got David Baldacci. He's in the can. He'll be on in a few weeks' time, I'd say. They'll be out a little later on in the year. Uh, Now, next week, we are chatting to a proper policeman turned crime writer, Neil Lancaster. He came down from Scotland to talk us through his Tom Novak thriller series. That's on the way next week on Writer's Routine. Uh, Before then, if you do have a chance, if you can, please do support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Please leave us a review over on the Apple Podcast place and follow us uh, on Twitter. We are at Writer's Pod on there if you've not yet. We're trying to keep you going every day with some writing inspiration from some of the authors that we've had over over 100 episodes now. So that's what you can do in the meantime. And I will be back next week with Neil Lancaster on Writer's Routine. I'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.